speaking for myself and yeah. I'm probably speaking for a lot of other artists, art is, isn't some, it's not a choice. It's a, it's a need. Mm. So it's like breathing. It's like getting out of bed. Wow. You have to do it. You just have to. <laughs> There's just no, and with that comes feedback and you need feedback from your community, from your friends, from people you don't know, from your fans, hmm. critics. Mm-hmm. And that propels you hmm. forward. And that's what keeps you going. Hi, I'm Lucy Caldwell, and welcome to Life Revealed, featuring deeply personal conversations that help us tune in to what matters most. Together, we will forge new paradigms for how we think about ourselves, our lives, and the society we want to create. In this rare pilot episode, one of my very first attempts to play around with recording my voice, I sat down with my brother in the basement of my house, and we chatted about his musical journey as a music producer. My brother, Andy Caldwell, has been an innovator in the electronic music scene for over 20 years now, and he's received two Grammy nominations for his work. He's played all around the world from large festivals to small underground clubs. And I'd really say that he's lived his life outside the lines, charting his own unique career path as he's been innovating in developing the electronic music scene as well. Andy's been a huge source of emotional support and inspiration in my life and has been a major catalyst in my personal evolution and also in helping me learn the ropes of sound recording as well as developing the entrepreneurship skills as a creator of artistic content. As I've been dragging my feet in getting off the ground with this podcast series, his continual refrain to me has been, you have to just keep practicing. You can't be good at something from the get-go. In this interview, we talked a lot about how he got started in the music business, as well as his insights on the early rave scene in San Francisco, which formed the basis for a lot of the house music scene that has exploded around the globe, and also was the launching point for his career. We discussed the art of making music, the creative cycle, and how the experiences of his personal life informed his direction as a music producer. So we're tuning in to episode two of Life Revealed podcast, and today we're very lucky to have someone who's both dear to me and has a very interesting story to tell. It's my brother, Andy Caldwell. Welcome to the show, Andy. Very nice to have you. Thanks, Lucy. (laughs) Thanks so much for all your support Mm -hmm. and encouragement for me to get up and running with this project. It's it's really awesome to have this opportunity to work my, professionally with yeah, you. Yeah, my pleasure. I I hope to see this become very fruitful and filling for you and your listeners. Great. Thank you so much. I thought it might be fun um, for people who don't actually know much about you, if you might tell us a little bit about what you've been up to these last 20 years in your <laughs> career uh, as a music producer and a DJ and world traveler. Well, you just told him for me, didn't you? <laughs> I'm a creative person by nature, but I got into music, I think, first and foremost, and that became an obsession and a passion of mine from the age of about 18. Got into the rave scene in San Francisco, quickly got into the production side of things and just 
beg, borrowed, and steal, you know, would do whatever it took just to get into a studio and started, you know, learning how to make music. And fast forward a few years, I was in a band, some of my best friends called Solstice, and then that led to other things, including, you know, becoming a just sort of a, an independent DJ producer, for lack of a better word, maybe a recording artist, whatever you want to call it, and uh, spent many years touring and producing music just for, for my own brand, I guess uh, you could say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now I'm running a music production school in, in Hollywood, California, and uh, thanks to in no small part to your to your help and contribution there. So come full circle. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think your uh, passion for music developed? Where, When you kind of look back on your life, where did that that fire catalyze for you? I've always loved music. I'd be hard-pressed to, to be able to say, well, there was this pivotal mo- moment in my life when mm-hmm. I decided this is what I wanted to do. But I guess if there was sort of a pivotal sort of moment, it was it was right around 1992, the winter of 1992, going to raves, literally watching DJs hmm. play records mm-hmm. on turntables. I just thought that was so cool. And what were music, those early raves like? Can you describe kind of what the what the environment was like? Oh, and man. they well, were in secret locations and things I, like that. I sometimes I struggle with like, were they really special or was it just so new to me? Because I see kids going into that scene now uh-huh. and they're having similar experiences. So I don't but know. Were they I'd just like, beginning or had raves been happening for well, a no, long that was, time before that? That was the beginning of the rave and you know, dance music scene as we know it today in California in San Francisco. So it was brand new. You okay. know? So there was that novelty yeah. and that excitement. So how would it, you know, for people who didn't get to be part of that, it's, how would it happen? So how would people hear about the rave and what would it be like when you got there? Um, there were flyers, you know, you go mm-hmm. to like any record shop or cool clothing store or bookshop or bookstore or whatever cafe and you'd see flyers and you'd pick up a flyer and mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, a lot of those were sort of the bigger, more commercial parties. But then you'd go to those and then you'd start meeting people. You find out about the smaller, more intimate kind of Mm -hmm. progressive or cool, like the really cool midweek, like Tuesday night somewhere, you know, like in some club. And yeah, it was a, you know, it was a social network, you know, as soon as you got in there, you realize there was like, and it's the same today, you know, you go to Burning Man and you've got all these camps and some are better than others and Mm -hmm. some are more exclusive. And so I don't know how that developed or when it began. I'm sure it predates this whole scene. It probably Mm -hmm. goes back to, you know, the roaring 20s for all I know, you know, whenever humans began congregating in, in bars. But is there some element of it being underground that was appealing? Something well, where it was sort it was, of off the radar or secret or, you know, only was happening once that, that made it really yeah. feel special and unique? Well, Versus yeah. every Saturday night, every every club in the whole world is trying to get people inside their doors. So what makes something a rave? Initially, it was that they were for more, more or less kind of illegal, you know. They didn't quite <laughs> have the right permits. and yeah. A lot of times they'd get shut down. So there was an element of danger there or was, suspense yeah, that kind of added to it? Yes. And and I think it was partly due to the fact that you've had a lot of young people 
who wanted to get away from the main street, mainstream kind of clubbing experience, mm -hmm. you know, and they wanted to go someplace different and something that, you know, they wanted their own identity, you know. Yeah. You had a lot of suburban kids basically looking for something that made them unique, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I think you gravitated towards and still do towards like a certain scene or you know, if you're into music, if you're yeah. into that kind of experience, you know, you can choose whatever lane you want to go right. down. And for me, it was electronic music, huge crowds, bright colors and, you know, flashing lights. And that was that was it. That did it for me. Mm. You know, that was my indoctrination into my career as a music producer. So was it a way that it made you feel when you were there? That was the magic of it? Obviously, it was a combination of things, but I mean. yeah, it was um, absolutely. I mean, you pretty much said it. I mean, it was like it was a feeling, and it was also an experience. It was, you know, I went there for the music and just sort of, I guess, the way it made me feel. Mm -hmm. Which Other was what? What was the feeling it was capturing? I just, I don't know. I wanted to be part of something new and special and mm -hmm. unique. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. It was like, um, was there an aliveness? I'm sort of thinking about that because I remember, you know, fast forward all those years, um, I was so focused in at that time, you know, in my studies at Stanford. And I remember you trying to get me to come to those raves. <laughs> I, I, I think we completely struck I out. I think actually you really were still in high school. Yeah, when that's I tried true, to get actually. you to go to one. That's true. I think I got a little kind of overwhelmed and scared. And You were going to go, and then you chickened out at I the last I chickened out minute. at the last – I know. You had yeah. us all dressed up in overalls. <laughs> that was part of it, right? And I think that's part of the Burning Man appeal is yeah. sort of like you get, finding your uh, sense of self-expression through how right. you dress. I think it scared – it probably scared you because you were like, "What? what is this? this yeah. I don't understand this. I'm right. not going to take part in it. Right doesn't make sense. And then sort of fast forward all these years, you spent whatever it was, you know, 15 years in that scene. And I remember... Uh, 20. Or 20. before. <laughs> no, but I'm saying before you kind of reached out again to me. Mm. And I think you decided it's like the time was ripe to try to sort of shake my life up a little mm. bit because I had gotten in a this well, sort of rut. And you reached out to me, if I recall. You wanted to... Maybe the, there was that first time you went to that party that I played out in San Francisco with Heath. Oh, yeah. Or uh, Keith yeah. and Kira. I think that was your first. That was 2012. Right. That was like five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you feel like the rave scene is um, alive and well, or do you think it's kind of fallen on hard times and needs to be or, or is I, being reinvented in some I have no idea. Way? I haven't been to a quote-unquote rave in like five years. Do you think they still exist? Oh, yeah. In their same form? Well, they're or? very commercialized now. I mean, they're, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and there are huge money interests in, you know, trying to make a buck, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different experience. Yeah. Do you think money was a big part of the initial wave? Initial wave being of raves, like when the ones, I yeah, when you it? first started going. I'm just curious I, I think if, if there the commercialization were people, is part of the reason it's kind of maybe not as compelling. I think it's, I still think it's really compelling to a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. You know, for, at our school, for instance, I'd say a good 
25% of the kids, when I say kids, I mean they're like in their early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but their dream is to play the main stage of EDC. And if you, if I don't know if you know what EDC is. You should explain it for the listeners. Yeah, Electric yeah. Daisy Carnival. It's this massive rave in Las Vegas. It used to be in Los Angeles. I've played it a couple times. And it's, you know, I don't know, 300,000 people. It's like a three-day festival. Uh-huh. And so, you know, like these kids come into the school and they're like, I want to play main stage at EDC. That's my goal. That's my dream. So they have uh, probably a similar experience that I had, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think the experience is the same, just different. There's different components to it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yes, it's very commercialized now. It's it's there's so much money in it. But back then. You know, the DJs weren't charging, you know, $100,000 to play a two-hour set, you know. Yeah. They were, like, local, like, friends of the promoter, or maybe they were the promoter themselves, yeah. you know. And they just were trying to, like, find a place where they could all party, you Yeah. Know? So that was very different. Right. What are some of your peak experiences um, being up on that stage throughout your career? So maybe you could tell people a little bit about sort of the kind of places you've played from like tiny little back rooms to big festivals in Europe. And I'd love to just, if you could describe <clears throat> for us kind of some of those peak moments for you. Well, I've been on like. some big stages for sure. And, you know, those big stages would, you would think might be the most like fulfilling, right? You More people, bigger sound system, Mm -hmm. bigger venue mm -hmm. that's got to be the most amazing experience and actually it's not it's not that amazing because you're on this huge platform separated from the crowd yeah and all you can see are the lights in your face and if it's daytime then you can see the crowd but you can't really connect with individual people mm -hmm. it's just sort of a big ocean of you know and mm -hmm. it all it's very disconnected it's not it's not an immersive experience. So I wouldn't put one of those at the top of my list of experiences. It's pretty What's the top of the list? What's, what are the moments that, that really stand out for you where that, that kind of magic is created? It's really, uh, I'd have to come back to you yeah. on that. Well, what's the ingredient of a, of a magical experience think, as, a, as, a, as a creator? You know, you're sort of creating that environment. So yeah. how, do you, how do you know when you, when you really hit the target on it and it just feels in that state of flow? Chills when you get chills mm. when your hand when your hair on your arm stands up. That's when wow. you know you're like the whoa something unique is happening wow. right now. And wow. that can happen with ten people, or it can happen with a thousand or ten thousand. It mm -hmm. really depends. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I did a show, an underground party in December in L.A. And there were like I don't know, maybe thirty, forty people there. It was four a.m. and I was playing this very late night set and I had that experience, you know, mm -hmm. and it was really cool. That's really all I care about now. I don't mm -hmm. go, I'm not pursuing gigs that pay money mm -hmm. in a way, you know, at, at all. And, and all I really am after now is the experience. Wow. So that's kind of what I'm chasing at this stage in my career. Yeah. Amazing. And so you're wanting to, to, to bring more of that to the world now through this school, right? Creating more uh, producers and more sort of 
talent in the world. Do you want to talk a little bit about what your dream is for well, so IO that feeling, Music Academy? <clears throat> yeah. Let me just go back to that feeling again. So I get that feeling now through one-on-one mentoring with mm. my students mm-hmm. and also just kind of talking about, I don't know, music and learning with my students you know that that I get that same experience Mm. which is really exciting yeah what is that quote about you know your first task in life is to find your gift and your second is to give it away something Ah, like that interesting yeah so it's like you captured this sort of lightning in a bottle and now you're wanting to Mm. to share it Uh, first sharing it individually with people on the dance floor and through your through your music and now sort of mentoring and training the next wave, the next generation. Although, may, do you have some people at your school who are your same age as well? I mean, I, well, I'm let me let me try to is. answer that first question. Yeah, I think if we can do one thing in life to better someone else's life, then we've succeeded. That's why we started the school. You know, it's on on one hand, it was to try to create a business that would support my family because. You know, I just had a kid mm-hmm. and we wanted to create something that was, you know, had some some stability and some some income. Still hasn't that hasn't happened yet, but we're creating well, you're the, only a few months in. So, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. We just started. So we're creating this community and we're giving back all this knowledge and information and experience. And, and that to me is like the most important thing. You know, that's one of my core values is mm-hmm. to to help people. So this is a way to do that on on a small scale and I hope to grow it. So, you know, we can touch more people right now. We're, you know, it's very small, but mm-hmm. that's how I believe everything that's meaningful to me in my life has always started small and grown organically. Yep. Sort of the I call it the natural progression of things. Yeah. And I have a good feeling that this is going to be successful based on past experiences of success. They had a similar kind of trajectory. Yeah. And there's sort of this like deep sense of maybe alignment where it feels, I mean, I'm yeah. wondering what it is that creates those moments of, of magic, you know, that the, having those epiphanies or those chills kind of moment. For me, I find when there's sort of like, there's a feeling of truth or there's like this deep resonance that's like at the soul level, mm. that's when I get the chills. Mm. And so it can be sometimes just witnessing something of extraordinary beauty. Also for me, you know, creating that state of that state of flow with your students. Um, how do you know when, when you've made something beautiful? Like, how do you know when a song has reached that sort of sweet spot? Again, it's, um, it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's so interesting because there's all these technical skills, mm-hmm. right? That, that people need to master, but there's, there's something in the art of it, right? That is, that is almost, uh, beyond any ability to explain what it is it's i'm sort of curious how that how that feels as a as an artist and creator it that's a rare moment to actually know Hmm. because you're constantly chasing something you know Hmm. trying to find meaning out of your work yeah and it's it can be really frustrating because you can spend weeks months working on music or whatever it is whatever kind of craft you're yeah you're pursuing without having a single moment where you're like, hmm. this feels right, hmm. or this is it, you know, or it's finished, you know, like, 
That's like a perennial question to all artists is like, well, how do you know when something's finished? Mm -hmm. You just, you don't, you don't know. You just start, you just stop working on it. Hmm. That's pretty much it. Like there's not a single, as far as I know, I don't know a single artist who's like, I'm done. Mm. Or or, or they don't, they haven't been working on something and they go, okay, it's finished. Wow. They just go, I'm just not going to work on it anymore. Huh. But you must have times where songs are, you know, like going well and you really feel like it's coming together. And then other times where you just – it's not coming together the way you wanted and you're just well, kind of grinding at it. One of the keys to creating great art is to create a lot of art. Hmm. So if you try to focus all your attention on one piece, you're going to strike out. You're going to miss the mark every time. Hmm. The trick is to be as prolific as you can hmm. and to get into the to the notion of repetition. Interesting. Because that's where true genius happens. Huh. It's not in the big the opus that you think is, you know, that you have this oh. perception that there's this artist who uh-huh. has this huge It's going to be this one magical download no. from the sky and you just wake up one morning and you know yeah. the It's all about it's quantity. Hmm. Because out of quantity comes high quality. Interesting. So you have to just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And then maybe one out of 20 attempts is going to be special. Maybe one out of 100 attempts wow. is going to, Maybe one out of 1,000. You know, you yeah. just don't know. It's shots on goal kind of, so, huh? yeah. yeah. Some people... So there's, a, there's really a discipline, a self-discipline to the art of uh, creating music, huh? It's not just music. It's any creative endeavor. Wow. And it's 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 entrepreneurial too. Most mm-hmm. businesses, you talk to any entrepreneur, the exception to the rule is the first business that they started was successful. You know that is the exception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most entrepreneurs go through a series of failures before they have any success at all, and it's in the failures where we actually learn. Mm-hmm. It's not in the success. Mm-hmm. So that's the same same thing with art with creating anything really is you yeah. have to just keep doing it and keep doing it and eventually it'll get better and you'll get better at it right you know in the process of that so what role does uh, audience feedback or critical acclaim play for you because I know you've had a couple of <laughs> Grammy nominations and times when you know you felt like you're you've known that your career is really on a high point. And, and then there's also times of getting, like, criticism and negative feedback. And this mm-hmm. is true for all, like, movie actors. I mean, anyone who's had any degree of success in the arts has times when they're, like, held up on a pedestal and then other times when they're, like, deeply criticized. How do you create enough emotional safety that you're willing to take those risks? And how do you factor in that feedback well, channel? I mean, I, speaking for myself and yeah. I'm probably speaking for a lot of other artists, art is, isn't some – it's not a choice. It's a – it's a need. Mm. So it's like breathing. It's like getting out of bed. Wow. You have to do it. You just have to. <laughs> There's just amazing. no and with that comes feedback. And you need feedback from your community, from your friends, from people you don't know, from your fans, hmm. critics. Mm-hmm. And that propels you hmm. forward. And that's what keeps you going. So the Feedback being both positive and negative feedback, would you right. say? Right. So, so artists look for feedback. I mean, again, there are exceptions, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there are some artists out there who, who you know, and I've heard plenty of actors say, oh, I never watch my work. And, mm-hmm. But I think that's a load of BS because most people in the creative field are 
yearning for feedback. They want to know if whatever they're doing or have done is Mm -hmm. received well. And if it isn't, you know, it might hurt, but we want to know why it wasn't received well Mm -hmm. in the hopes that next time we can maybe make some different decisions. Yeah. You know? The art of creation includes the audience receiving. Like that really, that art is created for the purpose of being shared, I guess. That's a really interesting. It's like a dynamic interaction between the creator and the observer or the participant, mm-hmm. the the person who's receiving yeah, it, the in, art. In right? some ways, it's kind of ephemeral. Like it only, yeah. it, it exists in a kind of a, a moment and we can capture it with recording devices or in the case of like a visual artist, you know, by putting it on paper. Mm-hmm. But that that creation is going to be different a year later, you know, based mm. on yeah whatever is happening in the field that the mm-hmm. artist is pursuing. So in my field, you might make subtle changes month to month based on feedback you're getting or influences you have from other artists, critics, mm-hmm. you know, who however your pro right. whatever your process is. As well as what's happening in your life, right? And who you're surrounded with. Because thinking back on your career, I remember um when you had the experience of going to Argentina and you came back and you had fallen in love and you created one of your <laughs> first songs, right? I mean there was that Oh, yeah, um, I wrote that song, Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, and then, then I know at that time you were also being really surrounded by a lot of other really talented artists, like mm-hmm. in your in your in Solstice mm-hmm. with Gabe and Gina and mm-hmm. Melan, and you were you you kind of had this community of peers and right. people who were inspiring and pushing you. Sure, it seemed like that was a really formative. What was happening in the backdrop of your life was really formative in the music that you mm. were creating. Well, I think, yeah. Every artist looks for meaningful experiences in their lives in order to have something to draw upon. Mm -hmm. So my childhood, our childhood, Mm -hmm. was pretty sheltered, right? Like we never had anything, at least I, I personally never had anything like truly horrific or traumatic or, you know... Mm -hmm. We you had loving, stable Yes, you had a different experience, you know, than I did, I, I'm sure. But my experience was I we I didn't really have a curfew. I had a lot of freedom. I had, you know, you know, our parents really trusted, seemed to trust me. I screwed up a few times. There were some repercussions. But, you know, we had a pretty stable, sheltered mm-hmm. childhood. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really have, like... All this sort of... Pain and yeah. I mean, now looking back on it, there were some things like I could have definitely dipped into, Mm -hmm. but at the time, you know, in my early twenties, when I was really getting into writing, Mm -hmm. you know, I looked at like relationships or childhood trauma or something like really, yeah, like the elephant. We didn't have racism or extreme poverty or um, right long journey with uh, health illnesses or those kinds or living in like squalor or you know right. Our parents. There's had so much divorce. adversity that a lot of people. Yeah. So my. Yeah. So like I was like, well, let's see how how much can I screw up a relationship, you know? Because that <laughs> that'll like give me something to draw upon, you know. And so I was. Yeah, I went to Argentina. I had a girlfriend here. I went to Argentina. I met this other girl, mm-hmm. you know, and then like yeah, cheated on her, and it was like this whole like whoa, you know, like so yeah. that created this this huge bed of 
experience <laughs> yeah that I could draw upon it ended yeah. up becoming this beautiful like positive song but I think that I was searching for some sort of conflict in my life I don't know really for your art do you think uh, no just not to, for my art but no. but just to feel alive just yeah. to see what yeah yeah definitely what, what life feels like yeah that was a that was a factor for sure I yeah. wanted to really live life at the limit you know like mm -hmm. what can I do to like make this like a what like because we have yeah. one life to live and i right. want to live it to the full well you wanted to see where the edge is right i, I think there's so. that curiosity in life is like yeah. well i mean that's what's underpinned all of discovery throughout yes. human history is like what's over the horizon line right, right? so it's a fascinating voyage yeah, yeah um, absolutely what are you kind of looking at now at this uh, kind of moment in your life and where where you're headed next and what would be Sort of your intention of, of what you're calling in. Um, right now, I really just, I'm focused on making IO Music Academy really successful and really strong. I'm, I'm not really, I haven't been in the studio in over three months. Like, I haven't been creative in that way. Mm -hmm. I get to express my creativity through the school, which is, which is cool. So for the uh, listeners of Life Revealed... What would be your kind of call if there's some way that we could uh, help you or, you know, sort of uh, contribute or, or be supportive of your next step in your journey? What would that be? If you want to learn how to make electronic music, you should definitely come to our school. <laughs> an so it's an in-person in experience in it Hollywood. Is. Yes, we have uh, weekly classes. If you enroll in the full program, it's a 32-week program. and you come Is any experience necessary? You don't have to have any experience. Okay. And then Some after 32 weeks, uh, what are you going to be able to do? You you should be a pretty darn good music producer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to put in a lot of time. You, you know, you have to really dedicate yourself. It's not like you can just show up for the two-hour class and then 32 weeks later be like, bam, now I'm a music <laughs> producer. You have to like really dig in. And yeah. Do a it's lot of two work hours on a week. That, the, the structured classes, yeah. But mm -hmm. we have a lot of events and workshops and stuff to mm -hmm. be on that okay so you got to probably put in 10 hours a week on your own and then two hours in class very good excellent so is there a website or uh somewhere you'd like yeah, to direct I people o, to iomusic.academy find us on facebook or you know, on instagram wonderful yeah well thanks so much for taking the time it was fascinating as your sister to get to hear <laughs> more really more about the the creation of art and sort of mm. how you how you perceive that role in your life. I think that was really fascinating. So thanks again for all your support and inspiration on helping me get my voice out in the world as well. And uh, love you. Love you too. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Thank you for tuning in for this early episode of the Life Revealed podcast. To learn more about my brother and his musical journey, visit andycaldwell.com. I look forward to having my brother back on the show again in the future and having a deeper dive into the mysteries of what it means to express our human creativity through art and music. You can follow along and find out more about in-person events at liferevealed.com. As always, we're so grateful for reviews and feedback of the Life Revealed podcast on iTunes. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to peel back the layers of the human experience. <laughs>